This is a Wool Observatory podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Star Stuff, the space Hello and welcome to Star Stuff. My name is Cody Halfmoon, and today I'm with some of our favorite guests. We've got Kevin Schindler, co-host, but he's not just co-host this um, for this episode because we're here with Raider Lane, and they're doing the Astronomy in Residence program here at the Grand Canyon. Um, and Kevin, are you an astronomer now? Is that... Well, it depends on how you define that. Yeah. <laughs> um, not Let's a make sci- some people mad. Not Come a on. scientist. <laughs> so I would say not a scientist, but yeah. like in the amateur astronomy world, you know, you call yourself an amateur. So mm-hmm. I would say not an astronomer scientist, right. but I promote science and mm-hmm. um, by writing and speaking and all that sort of thing. So and coming, on how you talk it. coming to life in front of the camera for the <laughs> first time, though not his first time on Star Stuff, is a Dark Sky Ranger... Raider Lane. Happy to be here. Wow. Look. Dark Sky He's real. Angel, that's a cool title. Yeah, it is It is a very cool title. I try to try to live up to it, but um, it's a joy to fail at it every day. <laughs> 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 well, uh, so today we're, the star is really these two men right here. Uh, I want to know, first, I know that we've done this before, and anyone who's listened to season one, forgive me. Uh, Raider, could you please tell us about the Astronomy in Residence program? And like, what are you doing? What are you up? What are you even? What are you up to up here? Yeah, the. Uh, oh, and where are we? Hello, we're not in the studio. We are in the famous Kolb Studio uh, here on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and uh, this was a, a uh, the the home and photography studio, and you know, eventually theater of the uh, the famous Cole brothers, Emery and Ellsworth Kolb. Uh, they lived here from the early 1900s until uh, 1976 and uh, are famous for taking photographs of uh, particularly people coming down on the mules uh, down that first switchback of Bright Angel Trail, taking photographs of those people. And in the early days, you know, they would... Uh, they would shoot with dry plate photography, take the the plates, snap the photo, take the plates, run 3,000 feet down to what's now mm-hmm. known as Havasupai Gardens uh, to where they had water, where they could develop the photos. Uh, then they would run 3,000 feet back up, nine miles round trip to sell these people the photos when they return. And sometimes they do that three times a day. So this is like 27 miles of canyon running just to make a, a, a few dollars. Uh, they were tough. I can they, never complain about my marketing job again. <laughs> you know, they were tough and they would sell these, uh, these photographs for, you know, the equivalent of something like $25 to uh, visitors. But, you know, having photographic evidence of you and your loved ones at Grand Canyon in those days was priceless to you. I mean, it was, this was something that you would probably put on your, your, you know, the main mantle in your household and it would just be a treasured item. And so, uh, it's, it's appropriate that we're, uh, doing this, this episode here because, you know, the, the Cole brothers in a lot of ways were, uh, really integral in popularizing the Grand Canyon region mm-hmm. enough. So to, uh, put pressure on, the government to create it as a national park. And in a lot of ways, 
we're doing that now with uh, with the Astronomer Residence Program and with this this sort of new resource that we're trying to protect that we happen to all realize are now over our national parks, the night skies. Like these are these are a, a this is a diminishing resource that only in the last few decades have we real really truly embraced uh, uh, as a resource that is both d diminishing and worth protecting. Mm -hmm. And so night sky photographers, for example, and outreach astronomers, and um, even our poets that we've had for this astronomer residence program are now sort of the new Cole brothers in a lot of ways who are helping to popularize mm -hmm. this 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 resource of, of night skies um, mm -hmm. in the hopes that we'll globally be able to protect it. Well, and also, um speaking of just the outreach portion of this program, you've been very generous with your astronomers and residents. I think we've had four before, Kevin? Right, on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Dr. Fleisch. We had uh, Lauren, the poet. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a few of them. So if you're interested in this program and you want to know more, watch watch the whole, watch season one. It's great. Um, we've got um, actually a lot of Grand Canyon crossover with the podcast. It's been a really fun partnership and some of our most popular episodes. So thanks for that. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I'm curious, why'd you hire this one? Or this guy over here? What's <laughs> They're scraping the barrel. I guess getting desperate. <laughs> Very much not the case there. No, um, we were honored, honored to have Kevin Schindler um, selected as our, our current astronomer in residence. Uh, Kevin has been uh, involved with Grand Canyon for for a long time, and he he brings an incredibly unique take on uh, on Grand Canyon history that feeds directly into our initiatives of being an international dark sky park. Uh, Kevin is one of you know the 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 leading historians in understanding the era of the Apollo astronauts uh, uh, forays into the Grand Canyon back in the 1960s to prepare for their uh, expeditions on the lunar surface. And, you know, this is, this is a, a robust part of uh, why we're protecting the night skies. It's not just the, the, the natural aesthetics. It's not just uh, um, um, because, the, you know, it's just popular to people. Uh, but it, it, um, there's a deep uh, historical reason why we're, we're protecting the night skies. And so the, the Apollo astronaut story in a lot of ways is just, it's, it's, it's so appropriate that they mm. came to, you know, the Grand Canyon to, uh, to, to, to understand the processes of geology, a place that really makes you understand that we are on a planet and this planet is shifting and changing and to be able to look out at this deep time by day and then look up at the deep time at night is mm -hmm. just such a, a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing that, um, NASA had the sort of the foresight to, to, uh, to establish. And so, uh, Kevin, Kevin has been, uh, studying this for a long time, giving the park, us interpretive rangers in the park insights that we we've, uh, are, are just beginning to explore mm -hmm. with the public. And he literally wrote the book on it. He literally wrote the book <laughs> on it. And so, uh, and so Kevin's here to teach about this important historical event, do research, continuing in his research on, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the events, uh, that led up to the Apollo uh, lunar landings. 
and uh, and then share <clears throat> his own passion and knowledge about the night skies itself. So it's really this uh, incredibly uh, uh, unique res. I mean, they're all unique in their own ways, but this one is is in kind coming at it from a a, a, a different angle, but incredibly incredibly important for our. Um, our holistic understanding of why we're protecting the night skies here. When it's topical. And they, you know, there's so many, there's so many stories here at the Grand Canyon, so many amazing stories. I mean, you could spend years here trying to learn them all, but you know, the Apollo one, like you said, the, 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 the idea that earth is a planet and to study other planets out there, go to the Grand Canyon because it's such an outstanding classroom. Um, (laughs) But it's a, it, and, and one of the reasons why the astronauts came here, you know, so many people that come here every day, you, what is it, six million people a year come here? Right, right. And they leave inspired. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons for bringing the astronauts here to learn geology principles. Not that the rocks were the same as what they find on the moon, but, you know, rocks tell stories. And to look at the layers of rocks and read the stories, but also like those six million people that get inspired today, the astronauts them getting inspired to learn geology. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's something that happens every day. Yeah. I'm here today that people continue to get inspired. I think, you know, like when we talk about that training, they get it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. of course, why wouldn't you come here? Yeah. yeah, the specific rocks might be different, but why wouldn't you come here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, so um, it might be good to maybe walk us through just briefly, like what what that history was like what was the, the the point of that when did they do that mm-hmm. what, yeah what what is that story about and and i think it's to me it's interesting because the grand canyon is one of the most beautiful outstanding places in the world and apollo going to the moon was one of the defining moments of the 20th century mm-hmm. um and to me it was important we went there politic for political reasons initially but the reasons they came to the grand canyon for training was okay, we're going there for politics, but let's do science while we're there. Right. And, and um, you know, these, the pilots, the astronauts, they were test pilots to start with, and they weren't scientists. And while NASA is preparing to go there and, uh, and the government mandate is we need to beat the Russians, scientists like Gene Shoemaker said, you know, if we're going to a foreign world, what a great opportunity to learn about it. Was it Shoemaker that did that? He was one of the leading, he no was kidding. one of the loudest voices. Carolyn Shoemaker is one of my, I oh, guess, she's, great. she's fascinating. That both of the Shoemakers, Gene is considered the father of astrogeology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. Carolyn at one time had discovered more comets yes. than anybody else in the world. And, you know, he got off on a tangent, but I think something neat about her is they they got married. Mm-hmm. Gene is... An established geologist, mm-hmm. he proves the exist the the creation of meteor crater that it was extraterrestrial. Right. But great career. She raises the kids while he's working and such, and then she's fifty years old, and says, "What am I going to do now? The kids are out of the house." And she said, "Well, you could help me on this project." Mm-hmm. And she she learns how to take pictures of of the sky, and they start discovering comets. And she discovers more comments than anybody else. Um, but up to the, up to that time, like I'm bored. Fantastic. I guess I'll set a yeah. record in astronomy. Yeah, so she, <laughs> yeah. They, it's, it's, what a what a team. Yeah. But but the geologists are saying, okay, we should do science. So we're going to do science. We need to train these guys because they're pilots. They're not geologists. And but there's a problem with that because not all of them are necessarily interested in learning geology. The mandate is we're beating the Russians to the moon. Mm-hmm. Right. 
what do picking up rocks have to do with beating Russians anywhere? Mm -hmm. And so, unless you're throwing the rocks at them, I yes, guess. exactly. But I don't think they did the wars <laughs> they, that way. No, in <laughs> fact, they, it's interesting because in later years, the astronauts and cosmonauts became friends, mm -hmm. and yeah. and it really was a nice you know, camaraderie right. that they developed. Well, they had a closet for shared head, uh, yes, right. <laughs> closed quarters. They, not too far to go. Yeah. <laughs> so they, so the geologists Very said, okay, close. not all of them are into it. We need to learn basic geology, but also to inspire them to want to learn. And like all those 6 million people who come here every year, if you don't get inspired by geology here, it's not yeah. going to happen. Right. Oh and my so gosh, it's so true. They, they came here just for basic geology overview to mm -hmm. learn how to read aerial maps and how to be, they carried the tools of the trade, mm -hmm. hammers, which we don't do today. Nobody takes those into the canyon. But that's but more fun. That's how, that's if you've how, ever, if you've uh, ever cracked a rock open with a hammer. But not in the canyon. It's fun. Not yeah. in the canyon. But no, don't do this. That's how important this was. Yeah. Apollo is, is getting special permission to do that sort of thing, to learn geology. And so they, they earned like the equivalent of a master's degree, not, not just here at the Grand Canyon, they went other places in northern Arizona and elsewhere, but the idea was, you know, go down, hike down South Kaibab Trail, mm -hmm. um, three or four astronauts with one geologist. Um, they go down in groups, and the geologist would explain what they're seeing, um, explain how to read the rocks and what the layers mean and what kind of rocks they are. Um, and they could do that going down, stay at, at Phantom for the night, and then hike back up Bright Angel. And on the way back, now it's the astronauts turned to show how much they were listening. Right. <laughs> and and, it, and they did this over a day and a half or so. Mm -hmm. They hiked down one day, stayed overnight, came back. Okay. And that was a typical schedule for them. They, they didn't do a river um, to rim or rim to river back right, in one right. day, but they probably could have most of them. I mean, they're they pretty tough in yeah. shape. But it's interesting. They, you know, these were a lot of mix of personalities, but there were certainly the type A's in there. And so when they were coming back from, from have a soup by gardens, as we call it now, um, then from there they could just take meals. That was kind of the end of the training. Mm -hmm. But so many of them hiked hmm. the hyper-competitive, like Alan Shepard, who was the first on the moon. He's going to be first. I'm right. hiking out. I'm going to beat everybody else. <laughs> right. So it, it's, I, I think it's interesting because it's, a his, it's an important time in history. Um, it's also part of the cultural makeup of the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. that it's, you know, we know about the pioneers before that, the natives who lived here, 11 different tribes are connected um, with the Grand Canyon. Um, but even in more modern times, e even today, there's important, you know, history in the making moments that are happening. Friday. Um, I'm, I'm the, dating this episode, but uh, I know that Raider walked down to uh, Havasupai Gardens mm -hmm. and there was um, history was made while he was there. And then he hiked back up. And then started working again the next day. So he was pulling people his, still do this. He was pulling his Emery Kolb yeah, day yeah, and yeah, hiking exactly. down there and coming back. Yeah, up that, well, that's the first thing I thought work. of. I was like, did you have a mule? Did I miss this no, detail? I, no, I had. I, I was my own mule on, on that trip. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was an incredibly historic uh, event. We, uh, we've been mentioning here and there that we've been saying what is now known as Havasupai Gardens. Uh, there was a, a recent... Uh, name change to uh, what most people probably still know as Indian Garden to uh, what's known as Havasupai Gardens. And this is uh, a long time coming. The Havasupai people are the ones who really deserve recognition and credit for this uh, momentous achievement uh, to really uh, 
rename that place uh, to its, you know, the, the 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 people who had been inhabiting that region for um, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, uh, that the National Park Service back in the early 20th century forcibly removed from that area to, uh, you know, make it a more accessible area as a national park, as a nation national park, which was established in 1919. And uh, and so we, we've we've been able to rename it to Havasupai Gardens, um, uh, you know, uh, officially. Uh, and uh, we had a uh, a ceremony down there uh, on Friday. Ha uh, some Havasupai elders uh, hiked down and um, said some prayers and um, some chants and some song, and uh, together with some Park Service uh, officials, and really just uh, 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 marked the 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 historic event with that. And so, it's a great uh, uh, history in the making, as you said, to to, mm -hmm. to rename this place, and you know. It was a place that, uh, you know, in the 1960s, the as, as we said, the the Apollo astronauts had had hiked through when it was called the Indian Garden, you know, passing all the the, the granaries and mm -hmm. and all the old farming areas of of the of the Havasupai people, and and it's just a really it's a it's a real joy that we've been able to put it back in into the place uh, that it belongs as mm -hmm. uh, recognizing it as as Havasupai land, and we hope to continue that on and continue to forge the relationship with the Havasupai. One of the things that I find interesting is like Bright Angel Trail was made based on where a native trail had gone up initially. Right. And Oh, I didn't know that. And so it's being renamed, you know, uh, Havasupai Gardens. And then the, the trail, it would be nice to have more awareness about that because the trail that, that the natives built then was created into Bright Angel, which is where the astronauts hiked up. Right. Um, and so it's this continuum, mm -hmm. you know, it's been called different things or used for different things, but it's the same place. Yeah, it used to be called the Coyote Tail Trail. That was the mm -hmm. the original name oh, that Havasupai people gave it. And I, I actually like that Oh, I name, love that. Um, a lot better. Um, that's, of course, the, the, the English version. Uh, but uh, What was it? I'm sorry, Coyote? Uh, the Coyote Tail Trail is what it was uh, originally called um, in the Havasupai language. I'm only calling it that now. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and you're right. I mean, it's and it's it was the trail that the Apollo astronauts hiked up, and of course they were able to hike up that trail because it's basically on a large fault line that broke big pieces of the Coconino sandstone, the Redwall limestone, uh, uh, into a, a, a configuration that people could hike down. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people, why aren't there thousands of trails in the Grand Canyon? Isn't mm -hmm. like the biggest, grandest canyon? It's like, there's not actually a lot of access points uh, because there are these massive cliffs that would otherwise prevent you from uh, uh, hiking down. So big fault line along this area, which which cracked and created a big scree slope that allowed for um, uh, indigenous peoples and then eventually people, uh, visitors and the Apollo mm -hmm. astronauts to hike up and down this trail. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely the type of you know, geology that they were, they were likely learning about, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Like this sort of the basics of, of geology. And there's really no other place, uh, uh, th th uh than Grand Canyon, um, as good as Grand Canyon to, to study these processes of geology. You know, there's the simple ideas like the, you know, um, principle of superposition saying that like, 
you know, older rocks, if all else is equal, older rocks are typically at the bottom while younger rocks tend to mm -hmm. stack on top. Like those basic ideas, the three types of rocks, I'm sure they learned yeah. sedimentary, metamorphic, igneous rock, all three found at the Grand Canyon. I learned about that yesterday from some ranger giving a geology I, I gave a geology tour yesterday that, that Cody was on. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, and so th those were, th I, so I like to imagine um, those uh, geology guides who were with each group of astronauts mm -hmm. teaching them those those basic principles of of uh, uh, of geology maybe getting a little bit more into uh, the specifics of the you know the series of what we call paleo environments or ancient environments that are uh, stacked up on top of themselves displayed here in what we call the stratigraph uh, stratigraphic column of, of the Grand Canyon um, but there's you know, I'm sure they didn't get into this type of stuff, but there's there's also some really interesting geology relating to the moon that I like to think about oh, uh, when yeah. it comes to to Grand Canyon. I mean, for example, like down in the Tonto layer, uh, you can find uh, uh, what are called tidal rhythmites in in the Grand Canyon. So that's like mm -hmm. really um, it's it's evidence of tides coming in and out uh, in a in sort of this uh, this ancient environment, and really that's physical evidence of the presence of the moon 550 million years ago written to mm -hmm. the stone of the mm -hmm. Grand Canyon. Uh, Wait, how so? Can you? Well, so it's it's basically when the, the ocean the ocean would come in, the tide would come in, right? Mm -hmm. And it would deposit a little bit of material and then the ocean would, the tide would come out and then it would come back in again, yeah. deposit. A and we've, we've got those, what are called tidal rhythmites recorded in the rock. Oh, so, so you know the moon because of the So you know the, the moon tide. was revolving around the earth. At and least it's like then. we have all this mm -hmm. I mean we have theoretical evidence. We have I mean there's all sorts all this evidence mathematics and phys uh, physics evidence um uh to to suggest the moon, you know, was here 500 million years ago, mm -hmm. but physical evidence that you can and actually see a lot and longer, touch. Yeah. Right. right. And 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 see and and touch is recorded in in Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. I mean, and even thinking about things like when they when they got down to the bottom of the canyon, to the 1.74 billion year old basement rock, you know how much closer was the moon to the Earth back then? I mean, oh. we we know that we know the distance. But I mean, it was it was it was yeah. significantly closer than it was. Yeah. Appeared a little bit bigger in the sky. And it's so, a it's a fingernail every year, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think it varies based on you know. How fast um, your fingernails grow? Yeah, for example, there's there's a there's a rock group uh, uh, called the Supergroup in the Grand Canyon uh, that was established during the breakup of Rodinia a billion years ago, and we actually think that the breakup of, of Rodinia um, sped up the retreat of the Moon during that time, like because of the configuration of the continents at that time. So what? yeah, so there's really because of the magnetic pull. Yeah, just the, just the way that the the that the 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 um, continents were. Uh, were arranged um, as the moon was revolving, it sort of helped to kick it out a little bit faster than ordinarily it would. You said it retreats at the rate of a fingernail every year, but it that varies. Like mm -hmm. there's some times when it 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 retreats a lot faster than it does, mm -hmm. and that was a time when it started to, to retreat a lot faster because of the breakup of Rodinia. So. The point is, is just that there's there's all sorts of really interesting connections with mm -hmm. the celestial sphere, the, the night sky and the moon and the stars that's written into uh, Grand Canyon geology that the astronauts, they perhaps didn't get into that detail, but mm -hmm. it's really interesting to think that that stuff exists. I mean, 
the, the youngest rock layer here at Grand Canyon, for example, the 270 million year old Kaibab limestone mm -hmm. was deposited on the North American landscape 270 million years ago. And since then, we've made approximately one revolution around the galaxy, for example, like the, the Earth has. So it's about 250 million years it takes the Earth and the, it's it's our system to revolve once around the galaxy. And, and so That's it's those type of really interesting things that yeah, are the written, connections, the connections yeah. that are written into the the stone of the Grand Canyon. And uh, and it's it's just a, it's so incredibly um, uh, wonderful to mm -hmm. know that we were about to send people to another world. And this mm -hmm. is the place that we chose that they should go to be yes. inspired about mm -hmm. this planet and about mm -hmm. geology in general. And so if we had one place, where would we send them? We sent them to the Grand, Grand Canyon. Canyon. Mm -hmm. Well, and it comes back around too. And I've learned this, I think from Kevin is they, um, when they went to the moon after getting excited about geology, mm -hmm at the Grand Canyon, and I think Meteor Crater, and they went up to Lowell. Yeah, they, this was one of the first places yeah. just to get the geol geology over That excitement, But yeah. then, especially when they got to where they were assigned to specific missions, and they would be studying specific areas of the moon, they would go to places that were more specific to that. Mm -hmm. But but for the general geology, Grand Canyon, Sunset mm -hmm. Crater, Meteor Crater, yeah. they all went there. And then they learned, um, they got moon rock. Mm -hmm. And they brought it back. And from that, we learned that the moon was a part of the earth, right? Based mm -hmm. on some calculations yeah. on like said, what it, this rock and there should be this amount. and Yeah, the, the composition of the rock. The composition the moon of the rock, rock. is similar to like what you find in the right. upper crust of the earth. And so right. it's really good evidence that the specific mechanics are still yeah. being debated. But, you right. know, early on in the earth's history, a Mars size body probably bashed into earth yeah blew a bunch of debris in space mm -hmm. and over time gravity pulls that together mm -hmm. and forms the moon so the grand canyon and, and, was the impetus for getting them excited getting them to the moon learning about the earth yeah once they got back and, here and you know like it's we really said there cool. were there are other places they went yeah, yeah um, of and but you know some of the astronauts like buzz aldrin comment commented on going to the grand canyon mm -hmm. in one of his books and said you know, it was it was uh, essentially it was an inspiring thing. Where Alan Bean was another, he said it's where he really got it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, okay, we're going to go pick up rocks, but seeing something like this, a landscape like this, is and and the ability to read the rocks and tell stories. It's not just a pile of rocks. It's like wow, this was a delta, and this was this was a deep ocean. This was a dune or whatever. Um, you know, again, not those specific rocks, but when you have that mindset mm -hmm. that the rocks are telling you a story, a story that's billions of years old, it's pretty neat that you can interpret that. Well, and this follows a deep history here at the park of scientists and explorers coming to this area um, to to both study the landscape, but also find inspiration. So mm -hmm. another big historical um, uh, uh, event that occurred here at the Grand Canyon back in the 1920s was astronomer George Ritchie came here and had proposed to build what would have been at the time the largest telescope on the planet on the rim of the Grand Canyon in 1928 was was the, the, the idea. Yeah. And he came here and thought that no other place could match um, 
in profundity the you know the 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 beauty of the night skies as written in the nature before him and so he 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 thought we need to build an astronomical telescope uh, a telescope on the rim of the grand canyon out near desert view area um it was going to be the largest one on the planet he proposed this to uh, uh uh several of his colleagues uh a french magazine uh uh produced uh, an article uh, with his help on on this this proposal and um and they actually have a mock-up of the the the, the uh, uh, of the uh telescope uh, uh superimposed on a picture that likely george uh, ritchie um himself took of the of of the canyon and you know the new york times picked this up back in the mm -hmm. 20s and they were referring to this thing as mm -hmm. some of the columnists were referring to it as the desert watchtower oh and sounds familiar that was Four or five years before, you know, Mary Coulter took to the drawing board um, for what's now known as the Desert View Watchtower. And so some historians think that, you know, she may have gotten the idea or at least the name for uh, the Desert View Watchtower from this proposed telescope that was uh, uh, supposed to be built on, on the rim of the Grand Canyon. In fact, Edwin Hubble came to the park uh, mere weeks before he would publish his paper that would change our understanding really? of the universe. I mean, it's there sitting on his desk, likely. He comes <laughs> to the, the park to test what's known as the astronomical seeing, uh, to mm -hmm. test the sky, the conditions. And um, he corresponded with some folks, I believe, um, at, at Lowell Observatory. Yep. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and they... You know, they concluded that yeah, maybe maybe putting it the the telescope even 500 feet or a thousand feet back from the rim would have improved the seeing because there's a lot of turbulence mm -hmm. that is uh, uh, kicked up from the inner gorge uh, that would distort the atmosphere a little bit. Um, uh, but but still, it was it was this 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 massive project that was uh, that nearly happened and really was only for administrative reasons and Ugh, the, the always administrative well, reasons. Well, it was the National Park Service really still figuring out what it was. I mean, the National Park Service was established mm -hmm. in 1916. This was 19 late 1920s and so uh, they were uh, the superintendent here at the time, Minor Tillotson was corresponding with uh, the uh, at the national level, people like Horace Albright and they were, you know, he was Minor Tillotson uh, was actually a, 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 an avid amateur astronomer. Not a lot of people know this. And so he actually, there's some letters that we have that sh sh has him um, uh, sh demonstrating his bias. Or he's he's actually, he's, he's calling it out. He's saying, I might be biased here, but I think we should have a telescope on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. And the Washington, Washington offices uh, uh, declined it because, again, they were still figuring out what they were. But again, it is—it's coming back to this idea that um, uh, yeah, on this there's this historical thread uh, of um, people wanting to come here to be inspired by the beautiful deep time by day, and then and then looking up at the deep time at night, and and there's really nowhere else where on on planet Earth where you can you can do that and stand and, in between the two. And and largely thanks to your work. I was just going to say, charge. you're naming all these people from, we talked about John Muir earlier, I know, I know, <laughs> to, uh, to all these people that advocated for the dark sky and advocated for the park. And I think that Raider's name is the most recent on that list. 
in, a, in a very long list of very important people who um, I, I I'm I literally like to just think of myself as the the lipstick on the pig, you know. And I, <laughs> but I, I, you know, but somebody has to push it along. There, right. Any I, any effort like that takes a lot of people, but somebody has to nudge it and keep nudging. Our it. secret goal was to make you blush. Okay. But we I, have a bet. <laughs> but I think something that you know, but what it did is really help build that awareness of the connection. Yeah. It's not just a Tyler Norgren. The first mm -hmm. astronomer in residence, I believe, mm -hmm. who coined the term half the park is after dark, that yeah. there's so much to do here at daytime, but nighttime there's so much to do. And what I think is, is the timing of, the, of all this with, you know, it's a dark sky part. You've started the astronomer in residence. Um, there's these connections mm -hmm. that have been there, but now, now it's easier to show people those connections. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a better awareness about it, and I like I like the astronomer in residence program, in the way that you've had artists and I, you know we're talking about historical aspects, but the historical aspects that weave the story of of astronomy mm -hmm. um, with the park itself, the geology, right. and there's so many different connections, and that's something right. great about this. You I think you mentioned Eddie McKee, or um, who was one of the early scientists here, he. Again, he's, we're here for several reasons. He laid the groundwork in so many ways for the scientific study of the canyon. He also started an organization that today is called the Grand Canyon Conservancy, mm -hmm. which is the financial, the fundraising The official nonprofit partner, yep, of Grand Canyon. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's what sponsors the Astronomer in Residency Program, mm -hmm. right? working with the Park Service. So, so the connections, um, it, it's, I love how when you look back and, and it's like a maze, when you start at the beginning and try to find the end, sometimes you take a couple of wrong turns. Mm -hmm. But with mm -hmm. hindsight of look, you know, looking mm -hmm. back, um, with that hindsight, you can see the path. You can see how we got here. Right. I mean, we're we still got here because it. Of, yeah, we mm -hmm. got yeah. here right now. Raider and others of, of your era, and and we go back and that the Raider us, era we call the Raider it. era. <laughs> that we connect to the astronauts. We connect right. to the Eddie McKees. We connect right. to the yeah. indigenous people. Mm -hmm. You can see how it all connects backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like what you said about um, there being so many dimensions mm -hmm. uh, to to the night sky. And I think we're realizing that, you know, it is it is one of the main natural pillars from which we draw all our culture and art and philosophy mm -hmm. from. Um, and uh, we're, we're realizing that uh, this used to be ubiquitous over all of the world and the United States. And so it wasn't something to celebrate necessarily in national parks, even at the dawn of national parks. Mm -hmm. uh, you have early writings of people uh, talking about what I like to think of as the charismatic megafauna of the night sky, like the planets and things like that, mm -hmm. and uh, early nature notes and things like that. But nobody was talking about the pristine nature of the night skies um, up until about the 70s or 80s. And, um, and we're so, so we're in a really interesting time where we're trying to like look back and see that trajectory of, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. how light pollution has really overcome much of the United States. And we're now looking back at the history of Grand Canyon National Park and other national parks and trying to draw um, some new interesting historical content that mm -hmm. builds that story of mm -hmm. where we are as a nation and as uh, uh, as a as a world um in that you know 80 percent of us more than 80 percent of us can no longer see the milky way mm -hmm. um in the united states 
And so there are really these last remaining bastions of pristine natural darkness and it and they're over our national parks and so Mm -hmm. um being able to have kevin here as a resident and be uh sort of uh, mesh himself in the the culture of the the park and under the skies and take you know your knowledge and experience and passion and and share that with with visitors so that they can take that to where they they exactly. live and yeah. and spread that message is of utmost importance and so i think that's uh that's one of the, the the most exciting things about this 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 program is is that outreach aspect and i think mm-hmm. you know kevin this last weekend had you know connected with hundreds and hundreds of visitors at right. night sky programs yeah. over 200 just over the weekend yeah for one talk for one right talk, um, yeah. and so these are people who are experiencing pristine natural night skies for the very first time and then to get a dose of some incredible apollo astronaut history that you mm-hmm. know so many people can relate to mm-hmm. and then and we're going back to the moon so it's it's again repeating and connecting Topical. itself again. Exactly, and this is something you know um, that we were talking about the other day. I mean, we should, we really should get the astronauts to come back I was and train. Say, here. Where are they? I mean, yeah, get them down here. Kevin had that great idea where he's, you know, it's basically every astronaut that's walked on the moon is trained at the Grand Canyon. So mm-hmm. um, perhaps we should continue on that legacy tradition. And, and you know, something else that you're talking about the night sky. Something to me that's inspiring about it is. It's not just, you know, we're getting wistful and saying, oh, remember dark skies back in the old days? Yeah. It's not too late. I mean, we can't, we're not going to fix the entire world, but they're like we did at the park. Um, replace the fixtures. And we're talking about fixtures. You know, you save money by shining less light. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes well beyond the astronomy. There's the connection of the night sky. There's the health and welfare of right. wildlife and so on. Mm-hmm. But... It's not irreversible, like, you know, like fossil fuels, not to get into political stuff, but fossil fuels, there's a finite um, amount of them. The dark skies is something we can turn the back, the clock back. We can make changes. It's not too late. Mm-hmm. And, and having visitors here who see those dark skies um, right. and understand that they can, they can do something, maybe they're not going to, you know, they live, not going to have the darkness of the Grand Canyon, but everybody can do their part. Right. To, to get that connection, to, mm-hmm. to make it, to go back in time a little bit in that way. Right. One of the first time that, and this was actually something that Raider and I talked about on the first podcast mm-hmm. that you were on. Um, the first time I saw the Milky Way was, um, it was such a profound moment for me that I moved to Flagstaff and now work at an observatory mm-hmm. and started a podcast about <laughs> <laughs> astronomy and now are doing outreach about how important dark skies are. And it was from... One moment that I had in West Texas when I saw the Milky Way for and the that, first time as an adult. You know, probably you have this at the Grand Canyon. I'm down at Lowell Observatory. We're just south and have the dark skies. And even from downtown Flagstaff that has more than 70,000 people, the skies are dark enough that you can very easily see the center of the Milky Way. Right. And every night when the Milky Way's up, every time I've worked, I mean, you hear the gasps. And I've seen people weep. Mm-hmm. I, their whole life, they've never seen the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. And they look up, and I thought it was supposed to be clear tonight. Where are those clouds? Yep. We're looking at the middle of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it's, it's something that gets at the very core of who we are as humans. Well, and I, I don't know if I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but you know we have, we have this Bortle scale 
that we use to qualify uh, the our our dark skies in any given site, and you know it's Bortle Nine to Bortle One, and say Bortle Nine, you're downtown Las Vegas, where you can see maybe one or two stars, three stars. Um, Houston, Bort- <laughs> Houston, Bortle One is you're in pristine natural darkness. And it's a dichotomous key. So you you ask yourself questions. And if you answer yes to these questions, can you see the seven stars of Ursa Minor, for example? If you answer yes to that, okay, now you've graduated to a Bortle 8 and so on. Well, once you start getting down to Bortle 2 and Bortle 1, you start asking yourself some very unfamiliar questions uh, to mm-hmm. most people in, in uh, the United States and the world now. Uh, Bortle 2 asks the question, for example, does the center of the Milky Way galaxy show detailed structure and and that's to say that if you look at the center of the milky way galaxy in pristine night skies you should be able to uh see its anatomy and that there's the scutum star cloud and the sagittarius star cloud there's a big rift going through it called the cygnus dark rift there's the prancing horse uh uh uh, uh, uh object that that is made of of of, of dust um, but there's there's structure to it that our ancestors knew intimately enough mm-hmm. to, to give names to. Um, Bortle One asked the question, on a moonless summer night, is the center of the Milky Way galaxy bright enough to cast your shadow? Huh. Yeah. And that's how bright it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen this? I have seen this. You yeah. Have? Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen this. I've done this um, uh, numerous times at the Star Party and different places in the canyon here. Um, you can see your shadow from the. Milky it's very, Way, very right? faint. You can you can go like this essentially. Oh, you can you like move your hand in front of your other hand and see very faint shadow movement, and that's light during a new moon. During a new moon on a on a on a summer night. summer night, wow. um, where the Milky Way is nice and high up, and this is how bright it should be mm-hmm. this is how yeah. awesome and spectacular and indeed terrifying it should be mm-hmm. uh that's right that's what we were talking we were about. talking about because i accidentally called it terrifying yeah and you were like yes it's a it's an it's, it's incredibly complex emotions that people have been experiencing here in the canyon since time immemorial mm-hmm. uh, and and mm-hmm. in a lot of ways the night sky aids in us experiencing those those really complex emotions that we don't we don't have anymore in our sort of blunted emoji culture, you know <laughs> that we, we you know that we experience now. We're happy. We're sad. We're scared. Um, there, Sparkles. There's yeah, some stars. There, there's very unique emotions that you can you can only have in the most incredibly pristine and, and natural landscapes. And that mm-hmm. that's another aspect of what we're trying to to protect here. Well, uh, and yeah. also it's so strange that uh, so last night Kevin and I were able to get a clear night, uh, like a just beautiful. I mean, stars, you know, interrupting other stars. It was that mm-hmm. it was that full up there, and we were uh, we were sitting outside of the graveyard, um, drinking Coca Colas <laughs> and water, <laughs> and looking up and just. Uh, it was so interesting to me because it is such a profound like experience and in a lot of cases like with me life changing literally um but also it's so natural it feels like that's how it always should have been mm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like uh like there is something missing cuz i know that was why i ended up here is i went back to houston and i was like you can't see this and go back to living a normal life mm. at least for me it was game over yeah, there's a very humbling aspect about sitting under the night skies. Um, in in a lot of ways, I think 
sitting under such awesomeness and vastness with others um, connects you with others a little bit more. I mean, you 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 kind of have that because you're underneath such awesomeness. You have that instinct to sort of huddle around the central fire a little bit more, and mm-hmm. and you you don't take the people around you for granted because, yeah, we're we're sitting on the rim of an incredibly absurdly large canyon and have a thousand big. stars above you. It, it, um, it's it's a humbling experience and it, it, really and it brings you closer to people. I was thinking of a similar thing last night when Mars was out, just a little pinpoint of light and Mars is smaller than Earth. We're, we're on the edge of the Grand Canyon and thinking that there's a canyon on Mars that's five times as deep and would right. stretch across equivalent of the United States. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the scales of thing, and to look out here and imagine the canyons just to if you keep seeing just me just look this yeah. way, it's teasing us. It's literally right there <laughs> yeah. out the window. It's but, but no matter you know the perspective to come here to see right. that that you know no matter what we have, there's something greater out there. Right. There's something something um, that really captures our imagination. Yeah, and and those domes of light that we have now over all our cities, mm-hmm. um, yeah, shrinks our world a little bit more, really and is. in a lot of ways, maybe even it shrinks our world while maybe boosting our egos a little bit or something like bit. that. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's 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 no room for those to 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 coexist, and so um, so it's 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 a very healing mm-hmm. place to be. Um, well, I think it's interesting how you know some a lot of visitors come in say, you know, coming up to a place like you know, like the Grand Canyon during the Star Party or Lowell Observatory, where they can see the sky and put the phone down for a few minutes mm-hmm. because we're so in tune with staring at the screen right. and reconnect with the universe. It, right. it, you know, it start, you feel human again instead of Seriously. just something going through the motions. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, surrounded by walls and city lights and everything. Right. Which is a great connection to the program because I feel like that's the important piece of why it's important that the residents are here because mm-hmm. it connects you oh, with the history. A, yeah. It connects you with the art. I mean, I think I told you I've been writing every night since I've been visiting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I can't stop. It just spills from my mouth because it's it's just so gorgeous. Yeah, even, even there's 6 million visitors a year. And if you sit on a bench, a lot of them are going to walk by you and yet you're still connected. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I mean, there's nothing like having a solitary moment with the canyon mm-hmm. yeah. when all you hear is the wind and all you see is a condor right. um, flapping by or whatever. But that connection, but even if there are people walking around, you still feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we could probably talk about this forever, but Raider's a dear friend of mine and I know that you have meetings mm-hmm. and oh. things to do. So uh, maybe... You know, get in the comments uh, when we post this and, and, and tell Raider that we need to do a, a second episode because mm. I feel like we could talk about this mm. for a very long time. But um, just before before we sign off, um, could you tell people where they could learn more about this program? Sure, yeah. Uh, the Grand Canyon Conservancy funds this program. Um, we work in partnership with them. They're our nonprofit partner. So if you go to grandcanyon.org, and uh, look on their residencies page. There's the Astronomer Residence Program. We also have a web page on our um, National Park Service website, um, Grand Canyon National Parks website. And, uh, and and we're really excited. I mean, the, the the call for the 2024 astronomers will be open from May to July of 2023. So it may or may not, you know, uh, be open when this comes out. But 
you can certainly go to those websites and at any time of the year uh, opt in for email notifications as to when these opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, uh, so that's a great way to learn about the program. Yeah. And, I, and I like how, again, there's so many different backgrounds of people. I mean, I have yeah. a historian background, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. artists, musicians, mm -hmm. um, right. so many different angles on it. And it's got to be fascinating and exciting for you as one of the program leaders to, to have, okay, we have a new perspective. And it, it kind of, it, it's building a big puzzle. The, the goal is to, in a lot of ways, by having every single astronomer, uh, astronomer residence, you know, seen collectively, uh, mm -hmm. you, you get a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And we, that's really the spirit of this program is to, is to, uh, uh, uh understand that the, the, you, the night skies, it, it, it's fills every facet of our lives, um, from art to science and everything in between. So, mm -hmm. Um, that's what we're trying to do with the program. And Kevin yeah. is just bringing such a unique mm -hmm. historical aspect to this program that is doing uh, uh, the visitors well. And mm -hmm. I know so many people are very excited to have you here and have already been raving about your program. So mm -hmm. um, start raving. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much yes. for your time so far. And we look forward to uh, mm -hmm. uh, continuing on the residency. Yeah, well, it's been great. And, you know, this morning, you know, last night, got the telescope out to take a quick look and I got it out today because there was a condor on the wall. Yeah. Number so, 23. Yeah. Number him. 23 was out and it was so cool. Like, you know, people were looking at this thing, like, why do you have a telescope out now? Yeah. And, well, look, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the Canyon is just great with all the different connections and just mm -hmm. like the program, yeah. looking at things in different ways. Mm -hmm. Which fits with astronomy because astronomy is like almost like a Renaissance science. You can mm -hmm. approach it. And so like a, and from arts and just sitting down and having yeah. a conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but yes, so uh, hopefully maybe we'll be able to do another episode, but I am going to get my friend Raider back to his um, important Dark Sky Ranger meetings. Um, so yes, thank you so much for um, letting us intrude on your time. Mm. I know it's a lot of important stuff going on here. My pleasure. And for letting us be in the, um, the absolutely beautiful and historic Cope studio. It's gorgeous here. So uh, yeah, you can uh, send us any questions. Uh, on our Discord or send us an email and we'll get them over to Raider Lane or Kevin Schindler if you have questions about his book on um, training astronauts at the Grand Canyon. But yes, until next episode. Thank you. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.